0: Hello, and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we will be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the July uh, 12th edition of Macro Minutes. The weather isn't the only thing uh, heating up at the moment. Uh, North American central banks are expected to deliver uh, large rate increases in July and the ECB should hike for the first time since uh, 2011. And um, you know August should see sizable rate hikes in uh, the UK and Australia. So the big question is, will the heat from rate hikes uh, suffocate economies and markets? So to navigate this um, you know, increasingly aggressive monetary uh, policy stance by central banks and the growing tug of war between inflation and growth worries, we have on the call with us today, uh, myself, uh, Jason Daw, uh, Blake Gwynn in US Rate Strategy, uh, Peter Schaffrick in uh, UK and European Rates and Economics, Adam Cole uh, for FX, and Adam Jones for U.S. Uh, investment-grade credit. Uh, so I'm going to kick it off today and discuss two topics. Uh, the first is going to be uh, RBC's updated uh, growth forecast for the U.S. and Canada, and uh, the second will be the Bank of Canada meeting, uh, which is coming out uh, tomorrow. Um, so on the first topic, um, RBC um, updated their uh, economic uh, growth projections, and we now forecast a recession in Canada and the U.S. in 2023. Uh, the growth downturn uh, is mild, uh, but the greater that the Bank of Canada and the Fed uh, need to prioritize inflation over growth, uh, the risks are clearly uh, to the downside. Um, so for now, in the U.S., we look for uh, domestic demand to lose momentum toward the end of this year, Uh, ultimately giving way to a contraction in the first half of uh, next year. Um, We're really only forecasting, um, you know, around half a percentage point uh, contraction uh, during those quarters. But that should push the unemployment rate higher from uh, its current uh, 50-year low, uh, which should be necessary to get inflation uh, back to uh, target. So, um, you know, we think 1.3 percentage point increase in the jobless rate uh, by the end of next year. Uh, that would be on the mild end of historical recessions. Um, in Canada, uh, we do see, um, you know, growth slowing into 2023. Uh, the impact of rising, uh, debt servicing costs on Canada's, uh, highly indebted, uh, household sector, uh, is only going to continue to worsen, uh, next year. Um, so we look for, uh, GDP to decline in the middle quarters of next year. So Q2 and Q3 which should uh, leave annual growth um, at less than uh, 1% for full-year 2023. And similar to the U.S., uh, Canada's uh, low jobless rate um, should rise by about 1.5 percentage points, and uh, that'll also be mild uh, in the context of past recessions. Uh, Moving on to the Bank of Canada meeting um, tomorrow, uh, we expect a 75-basis-point hike. We give a 25% probability to a 100-basis-point move and consensus is firmly in the camp of uh, 75 basis point hike. And as of uh, the time of this call, uh, the market's showing a small uh, 10% chance of a 100 basis point move. Um, so all the macroeconomic data, whether it's uh, CPI, wages, employment data, uh, the recent Bank of Canada surveys, um, all argue for an aggressive move at this meeting and uh, probably uh, beyond. Um, so the Bank of Canada, uh, they shouldn't prolong reaching uh, restrictive territory. Um, so the uh, risks uh, to tomorrow's meeting are decidedly on the uh, hawkish side. Um, as far as the risks uh, to the shape of the curve, they're decidedly uh, asymmetric, uh, still toward near-term flattening. Um, a lot of the parts of the curve, 2s, uh, 10s, for example, 2s, 5s, uh, they've inverted, uh, could invert uh, quite a bit more uh, if policy rates uh, continue to uh, march higher. Um, You know, steepeners, these are classic uh, rate cutting uh, cycle trades, but in both uh, the US and Canada, they can probably wait. It doesn't really pay to be early in these trades. Uh, Rate cuts could happen anytime in 2023. And when we get to the end of the tightening cycle, it's probably more uh, fruitful time uh, to put on cash uh, spot starting or forward uh, starting uh, steepeners. Um, on the duration side, uh, just to conclude, um, it has been a roller coaster ride, but I'm still happy to have the view that Q2 will mark the peak in rates in the 5 to 30 year uh, kind of tenors and that long duration is a better bet uh, than being uh, short. Um, obviously, front end rates are going to be pulled higher uh, by policy rate moves, but term yields uh, should be weighed down by uh, the aggressive tightening bringing down inflation expectations and weaker uh, future growth. And that's been one of our key tenets from our uh, mid year outlook um where we thought uh Q2 would be the peak in rates uh because uh we thought that growth risks would balance inflation risks this has started to happen and this should become more pronounced uh, as the year progresses um so with that um over to Blake to enlighten us on the US Treasury market
1: Thanks for that intro. Um, so, look, you know, a lot of the recent conversations we've had with market participants uh, have pretty consistently re- revealed a, a very broad lack of conviction on the outlook for US and, and also fairly light positioning. I think a lot of that's due to uh, a number of factors. Um, you know, uncertainty on the path of inflation is certainly one. I think there's a lot of confusion on the Fed's reaction function, um, especially after the breaking of forward guidance and how they kind of refocused on headline inflation at the June FOMC meeting. Uh, I think poor liquidity has been playing a role uh, in a lot of the volatility we've been seeing. Uh, I think you know, there's still uncertainty around the impacts of QT. And finally, and I think perhaps most importantly, there's this kind of dissonance, um, you know, markets trying to process and position for both a hiking and a cutting cycle at the same time. Um, what, what I mean by that, markets have essentially been caught in this back and forth between two themes uh, the last few weeks. Uh, On the one hand, we have a Fed singularly focused on crushing persistently high inflation. Um, That comes with a a possibly still higher terminal rate, bearishly flatter curves. This is really the theme that dominated the first half of 2022. Uh, But on the other hand, uh, we also now have this growing potential for a near-term recession, uh, a a possible Fed pullback. Um, And I think that's overall bullish for rates, uh, a bit more ambiguous on curve direction, but I think generally seen as leaning, uh, uh, leaning towards steepeners. Uh, really, depending on how soon that turn, turn occurs, how soon the, the kind of tipping point for the Fed really happens, and uh, whether or not it happens before the Fed has already reached the currently priced terminal rate of 3.4%. Uh, and also, I would say, how deeply the Fed is seen as cutting. But overall, I would say markets have seen this as leaning towards uh, a kind of a bull steepener. Um, the latter of these two themes uh, does seem to be the default setting the last few weeks, uh, you know, with a uh, a hawkish turn by the Fed being seen more as kind of the risk case that that, that is uh, possibly going to flare up as we move on. But I think, you know, kind of the, the day-to-day has been the real focus on the recession side of this, uh, but this back and forth. Uh, and we saw this in the reaction to the big NFP, NFP print last week. Uh, markets quickly priced in 10 basis points more of terminal brought a broader race sell-off, but that very quickly retraced this week as markets kind of refocused on that recession theme. So again, that seems to be the backdrop, and then we get these kind of flare-ups of the, of the more hawkish theme. Um, tomorrow, obviously going to be another test with CPI. Uh, you know, very likely could see a ninth the long headline um, and a beat. It could see a more sustained reaction than NFP, uh, given how much, you know, the focus really is on the inflation side of the mandate, Um, you know, a beat there, a strong print there could move things more sustainably, pull things more sustainably back to uh, that kind of hawkish narrative, uh, that that kind of bear flattener. um, it's this kind of potential bouts uh, of hawkish bear flattening that I think is largely kept this broader discussion about curve steepeners, particularly forward curve steepeners, from actually turning into a lot of positioning. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations over the last week. A lot of uh, uh, investors kind of looking at forward steepeners, given how how flatter curves have moved and kind of this expectation for a recession, expectation for cuts, um, but. As far as we've seen, this has not really turned into uh, actual positions yet. It still re- really remains in the dis- discussion phase for most of the investors we've talked to. Uh, longer run, we do like those positions, but um, you know, I think much like the people we have, we've had these discussions with, we think it's closer to the end of global hiking cycles. It's really too early for these trades, uh, uh, given these kind of risks of near-term flattening and, and bounce, bouts of, of hawkishness that, that could come from the Fed uh, that, that could negatively impact those positions. Um, real quickly, broadly, um, you know, I think this back and forth between the two themes likely to continue into the late summer. But I think as we head into to Q4, we think the narrative is going to shift more squarely towards this kind of recession, dovish case. The slowing of the economy is going to worsen. And it's going to get a lot harder for the Fed to take for. Um, that being said, until then, um, I, I really don't think there's going to be enough accumulated data. Um, again, highlighted by NFT last week, we're not going to see enough for the Fed to really start pulling back before the September FOMC and for markets to kind of fully commit to that dovish case, the recession case, start challenging, um, you know, a 310 terminal floor or uh, uh, to really start layering into those, uh, uh, you know, layering in heavily to those uh, forward curve steepeners. Um, So, you know, from there, uh, I, I think, you know, we, We see things as kind of settling into a range over the summer. um, You know, I think that uh, uh, given kind of our bias towards this recession theme picking up as we head into Q4, that means playing that range from the bullish side on on duration and from the flatter side uh, 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 on curves. But right now, both of those things are are relatively unattractive levels, uh, given that I think we are probably near the bottom end uh, of, of those summer ranges at the current moment. But we would look to any kind of spike that we get from CPI print, from other data, from FedSpeak. Uh if, if we do get those kind of bouts of hawkishness, that's where we would look to to use those things to to move into those positions to to head back to the bottom of those ranges. Uh and there I will pass it on.
0: Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Blake. Um next up uh Peter on the um European situation.
1: So um
2: I think the situation, so first of all, um, on our assumptions about the economy going forward, um, we have also um, changed our assumptions somewhat. Uh, we, have, uh, we already had a relatively weak profile in any way. Um, in, the, in the euro area, we have now penciled in a, um, a recession, so a sort of technical recession in Q4 and uh, Q1. Uh, in the uk we see that just about being avoided um but uh, the growth forecast that we have um zero percent and point uh, one for the two respective quarters i just mentioned uh, being very close to recessionary um, question anyway um the market is currently rallying, and we have a slight long position because we think the market is pivoting from uh, solely being focused on inflation towards uh, more of a growth risk. But I think, particularly, sort of over the last day or um, two, the market is pivoting even much more. Um, and one of the key reasons here is because there is a, um, and a there is a risk out there that um, is potentially quite important for Europe uh, specifically, uh, and that has to do with the delivery of gas and the gas situation that we're facing thing in Europe. Um, I guess everyone is aware um, that Russia has reduced its Um, gas deliveries into Germany by 60% to 40% um, of the normal levels. Um, They are now on a regular maintenance basis shutting down one of the key pipelines, the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, and there's a big question mark about whether it's going to be reopened after that maintenance period. Um, And um, most people who understand the situation and that I'm following um, tell quite clearly that if it's not being restarted, that this would potentially be a a very very big deal um, for Germany and the Wider EU, and because it would probably require some um, industries to uh, make drastic. Um, um, reactions, such as, for instance, in some cases, even shutting down their production. So that's the risk out there. And I think that's another reason why the market is rallying so drastically. As I was saying, currently, we, we like longs. Uh, we have been buying bond futures. Um, as a response, um, we think that the market has to reprice some of the uh, front-end hawkishness that is out there. Um, uh, we are now, um, when it comes to the ECB, much closer to our central scenario of hiking to 150. Um, but in the UK, for instance, we still think that the market is probably overstating what's going to happen. So we're still pricing around about 3% at the peak rate, um, where we think that the bank will only get a chance to go to 250. So that's roughly how we're seeing the market. Um, I want to say one other thing um, that is um, slightly related only to that. Um, before we have the next call, there will be the next ECB meeting. Um, and um, the key here is that they almost certainly will high grade by 25 basis points. That's our forecast. That's what they have communicated. And I think despite some um, harsh voices out there that say they should be doing more, I think that's extremely unlikely. But more importantly than that, um, because that's been so well flagged, uh, I think the key is um, what else they're going to announce as far as the anti-fragmentation tool um, is concerned. They have... Um, already given us a little bit of insight and um, press speculation has it um, that they will reveal details um, or, or significant details in the July meeting. So far what we've seen is we've seen a significant compression of sovereign spreads um, from the time when they made their announcement a couple of weeks ago, and um, that has not filtered into the corporate market. And the corporate market has widened, nevertheless. So, if the details fall short, um, or if they um, if they try to play for time, I would think that there is a negative repercussion, particularly in the sovereign markets so or in the Italian market and Spanish market, and the Italian market in particular. So, um, that's very important. We think they will give us details. Um, But uh, if not, I think there's another downside risk um, in spread product in particular. And with that, I'll probably leave it already and hand it back.
0: Okay, great. Um, Thanks, Peter. Um, Next, we're going to hear about um, FX market uh, from uh, Adam. Obviously, a lot going on. Uh, The euro um, approaching parity, I think, uh, to five decimal places it did not uh, hit parody uh, overnight, even though that's kind of what it'll show on your uh, Bloomberg screen. So uh, over to Adam to uh, tell us about currencies.
3: Thanks, Jason. Um, so uh, let me... Uh, touch on this this question of how FX trades in um, in different growth environments, and I, I direct you to a couple of pieces that uh, we had in the latest edition of our Total FX. Um, one of them looking at the general relationship between currencies and growth. And one looking specifically about how FX behaves in recessions, and um, I'm going to focus on that one here. Given all the talk that um, that preceded me on uh, the prospect of recession in different regions, so looking back historically at uh, how FX has behaved in recessions, one um, important factor we wanted to control for in looking at that is whether we're looking specifically at U.S. recessions with the rest of the world continuing to grow or whether uh, it's a case of U.S. recession uh, with the rest of the world also in recession. And we've got roughly equal numbers of those two uh, situations historically. By far the most pertinent, I think, at the moment, is the situation where the US and the rest of the developed world are all contracting together. And looking back at how FX trades in that kind of environment, there is a very consistent pattern of the kind of FX moves that we would typically call risk-off. So um, in those periods... You tend to see the Swiss franc and the yen as the top performing currencies, but the dollar gaining against everything other than the Swiss franc and the yen, particularly so against the commodity currencies um the Scandinavians sterling and to a slightly lesser degree the euro um, but the the picture broadly is what we would associate with what we 'd call risk off of dollar rising against everything other than the Swiss franc and the yen, and that pattern is very consistent. Less pertinent, I think, is when we see the U.S. in recession, in isolation, and the rest of the world continuing to expand. And in those instances, we see far less consistency. Actually, returns are much more around idiosyncratic stories and relative growth positions. Um, But I think at the current juncture, um, the... Uh, the the more pertinent example is when um, the developed world is all in recession simultaneously. And indeed, if you look at the surveys of recession probabilities from Bloomberg, um, the probability of recession in the Eurozone, for example, is perceived to be bigger than that in the US at the moment. So um, if if we do see continuing um, the focus on the risk of recession and ultimately that's where we end up, then our expectation would generally be that um, the markets look like they do in periods of risk-off. But another important qualification to that, markets tend to carry on trading that way until economies stop contracting. So what, one thing I think to be very cautious of in that kind of environment is early calls for the bottom in the risky currencies uh, that you don't tend to see reversal in their underperformance until uh, economies actually stop contracting contracting, and we come comfortably out of recession. So that was the main thing I wanted to discuss. Just to mention that Jason mentioned uh, parity in euro dollar and uh, view generally. Um, As you know, we've been dollar constructive all year. Um, We had parity as a target for the end of the year. Um, Clearly, the market is about to leapfrog us again. And just to note that in our latest currency monthly, which was out um, a less than a week ago, we moved our target for euro dollar down to 97 cents in the early part of next year. So, um, we've been negative euro, positive dollar, but, uh, market is moving more quickly than we'd expected, and we've moved our targets to reflect that. Uh, that's it. Thank you.
0: Okay, great. Thanks. Um, over to, uh, Adam Jones for U.S. Uh, Investment Grid. Uh,
4: yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, Investment grade has uh, actually been a little bit better the last week. Uh, we, we, it definitely felt like things got a little bit close to the edge um, just the other week. We had uh, there was a big deal, an eight billion deal from Salines in the market, and uh, on the initial attempt to print the deal, uh, it basically didn't get done and was shelved. Um, now that that kind of occurrence of an IG issuer coming to market and then failing to get a deal done is somewhat rare and, and always alarming. I mean, one of the things in IG is you expect issuance to happen. And in some sense, issuance is always market positive. It shows the market's clearing. It shows there's a clearing level. Things are functioning properly. So on the odd occasion that you get a deal where, it, for whatever reason, it doesn't manage to clear, it is very alarming. And indeed, when that happened, we saw spreads hit recent wides in the in the U.S., um, that deal then came a week later, and it was a slightly restructured form. It was shuffled a bit across maturities they did some euro paper as well, but ultimately it got done, and it cleared and you know whatever you think of them having to shuffle it and change it, ultimately it did print it actually traded reasonably well on the follow because it came at a level that was that was good enough and I think Having seen that clear, the market's kind of breathing a bit of a sigh of relief that perhaps things are not as bad as feared when uh, when there was that initial concern. So, you know, since then, you know, spreads in the in U.S. have come in from wides of 160 on the index. We got into 147, eased up a bit to 150 yesterday. Um, and I would say, you know, chances are we're now going into a kind of summer trading mode. You know, liquidity is a bit lower. We've obviously got earnings coming up. There'll be some issuance out of the bank. Um, on the real money side, you know, spreads are now attractive enough that we're starting to see some people put a bit of money to work. Um, the thing that stops more of that is obviously the ongoing concern of outflows, you know, real money um, raised cash ahead of outflows. There have been outflows so far this year and, you know, without seeing that completely stop or preferably reverse, the the incentive for, for them to just plow into into paper is a little bit more limited. Um, but it, it does feel shorter term that with their selling these deal out of the way, things are in a position where we can at least trade sideways to slightly better, um, knowing that, that, that that's now gone. Um, it is worth noting, though, high yield, you know, remains a little bit different. It is, you know... It's somewhat tricky to issue in high yield. There has been you know, relatively limited issuance this year, and it is because you know it's not that easy. It's gone from being a market where you could issue any day of the week without thinking about it, to being one where issuers perhaps do need to be a bit more aware of conditions. Opportunistic, you know, it's, uh, the syndicates are basically having to do some work to to get deals done nowadays. And so, you know, broadly there is still that bit hanging over credit markets. Additionally, you've seen the stories about. Uh, banks sat on loans and trying to shift loans off their books at discounts etc um, and so there are you know there are still those aspects in the background that are of concern but as far as USIG it feels like the, the fear that that's spread into IG for now at least can be put to one side and, and that sets us up to you know to perform reasonably well you know sideways to better
0: okay great um, thank you uh, so that concludes uh, the call for today.